Today's episode of Idle Weekend is brought to you by Bombas, a great place to get cool, creative, and above all, comfortable socks. Go to getbombas.com slash weekend to get 20% off your first order. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This time around, we're talking about 4K, the world of 8 million pixels, and the PS4 Pro. And Rob, I know you just built, like, a kick-ass, amazing, gorgeous, just drool-worthy home entertainment system with amazing audio and all sorts of good stuff. So are you excited to get into the 4K revolution on console? Oh, man. Am I ever. Uh <laughs> Except I'm not sure I see that revolution happening yet is is the thing. Uh, so, yeah. like, so like full disclosure, uh, the one thing I didn't spring for uh, was 4K, actually, in my entertainment center uh, setup. Because I sort of had the choice between getting a modern TV with 4K mm-hmm. uh, or a year-old uh, OLED TV, uh, which is 1080, yeah. but is arguably and actually kind of inarguably a much better display technology. Sure. Uh, so I opted for the better, like what I sort of deem to be the, the, the better uh, technology and the, the, the greater image quality for the stuff I cared about and uh, sort of passed on the 4k thing. Cause to get a 4k OLED uh, requires like taking out a mortgage on your house. <laughs> and uh, I'm a millennial. I don't own a house. Uh, I don't have exactly. a mortgage. Uh, so, well, this is the one thing is is that um, that's the one place I sort of skimped on. But at the same time, like there was a reason for that. And, and that's because like it seems really dubious that 4K is going to exist as something uh, that's re- really viable both for games and for uh, like videos and such. And, and honestly, like this is the weird thing. I expected to have some buyer's remorse, uh, when the PlayStation four pro, uh, was, was sort of revealed, right? Like I was expecting to sort of have this little pang of like, Oh man, like I could be watching all my favorite movies on 4k. And like, I'll bet the, I'll bet like some of those games will look really, really nice. And as like, it sort of became clear what was really being announced. I got increasingly confused because it sort of it, it sort of, it sort of seemed like you're buying a really fancy upscaler that can't play 4K uh, video content because it has no local ability to do that, and the online options don't really exist. So I ended up really confused uh, by by kind of like who this is for and and what purpose it serves because. You know, for for me, like it, it, it certainly didn't like make a case that I should regret my purchase of a TV uh, one bit. Um, the stuff that I cared about the most, where I tend to be a bit of a hi-fi freak, like you know, is movies, and it can't really do those because it doesn't have a 4K Blu-ray player. Um, yeah, that was the the big bummer and surprise I think from the announcement this week. I was like, oh, why? Why wouldn't you have that? That's a nice thing that people would like. <laughs> and I mean, like, I get that I'm the weird one on this in some ways. Like, because I think PlayStation actually said, like, um, they just sort of looked at how people are using their PlayStations. And, and guess what? It ain't to watch Blu-rays, uh, yeah. which I totally get. Like, I probably put a Blu-ray into that PlayStation once every week or so. Uh, but that tends to be an event, right? Like it's, you know, you know, oh man, this, I just got this, I just got the, um, like the collector's edition of, uh, like heat or something like that. Uh, and, oh, I've heard it's a great transfer. I need to watch that. And that's an event and that's, you know, you, you don't make the popcorn, you get excited, you make like a date for it. Like, okay, 8 PM. It's gonna, it's gonna be like my time. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like it, I, I still like Blu-ray. I, maybe we're both just weird, and that's fine. Well, I mean, I, I think we are when you see, like, trend is in, the trends are increasingly to people not watching stuff on TVs at all uh, yeah. and, like, watching entire shows on their phone. Like, definitely that, that seems like a generational shift that's happening. Uh, although I wonder how much of that is, is really to do with, um, you know, with, with the fact that a lot of people coming at, like, 
a lot of the job market's been soft for a lot of young people for a long time. And you start, you know, you start recording the cut, cutting the cord and uh, probably you continue with not buying the TV and just yeah. watching stuff on your laptop or something. Yeah. Uh, but so I ended up in this weird place with this thing where I just didn't feel like the 4k thing was, <laughs> was entirely real Yeah. in some ways, because it also seemed to me like, the games aren't really going to be like at a, a super crazy high resolution either. Um, it, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't sound like we're, we're really entering a, a 4k future where that's the new standard, uh, for, for video games. It, it kind of sounds, I don't know. I kept the, the thing that kept flashing, the, the name, the word that kept flashing through my head as I heard about this thing was, um, upscaler. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, so, you know, there was the, the whole PlayStation Pro announcement, uh, sorry, PS4 Pro announcement, and Mark Cerny got up there and in his very, his dulcet tones kind of uh, introduced a number of games, many of which are out already, and sort of showed them looking very pretty. And it, that was totally fine and good, and they looked pretty, but not... It wasn't the the paradigm shift. I know this is what everybody always wants. Everybody wants the, you know, the sort of PS1 to PS2 jump. You know, the incredible jump. The incredible, like, oh my god, I see it now kind of thing. You know, the, the sort of, like, how the Dreamcast felt compared to the N64 or something like that. And I don't, I don't know that we're going to see that anytime soon ever again. Uh, I don't feel like we had that with the Xbox One and the PS4, you know, regular PS4, PS4 casual. I don't, rem- I don't even know what the PS4, the regular PS4 is called anymore. But I'm sure there's some name for it. Um, and yeah, like it, I just don't know. I I feel a little skeptical myself. I have a totally decent 1080p TV and I see myself sticking with that for, you know, as long as I reasonably can. I'm also not like uh my idea of a perfect life would be to buy basically a, you know, like a new computer every few mm-hmm. years and then never purchase anything ever again in terms of technology, <laughs> like buy food and clothing sometimes and vacations. But that's it. Like, I don't I don't want more stuff, especially if it's not actually super exciting or going to enable me to have like incredible gaming experiences as they're sort of touting with this it doesn't really seem like those exist yet they're, they're just kind of showing you know like you said ups up versions of games we've already played or we're going to play really soon and you know, i don't want to like take a big dump on it but it's not very exciting to me to be honest yeah and i mean i see a lot of things that suggest the um the the real payoff here is is that like it can support like a wider uh like color gamut uh which you know sure i guess but but again that sort of puts you in a place where to enjoy things like that you don't like you may not just need a a good like 4k tv you might need like it's for it to be noticeable you probably need a really good one um because like that's you know what what separates like higher end displays from lower end displays is is that kind of thing is that ability to to sort of uh put out you know output uh more more color um that is something that i i think is is not going to be the case for a lot of people uh and i also didn't fully get i also didn't fully fully understand like whether or not there's a real vr push happening you know what i mean like like wasn't 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 PlayStation VR supposed to be like the thing? Yeah. And then I felt like it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that that was what was so confusing about this. So yeah, I watched the whole presentation yesterday. I was like covering it uh for work and I and I was sort of like aren't they, you know, wasn't wasn't the point of the PS4 Pro, at least sort of as I understood it. And it, it's never been super clear obviously until the announcement yesterday and I still don't feel 100% on it. I thought kind of the point of of the new PlayStation 4 hardware was to be better for VR. I thought that was like kind of the point. You know, yes, the games would be prettier, but like you want this for PlayStation VR. And then sort of getting my hands on PlayStation VR a little bit, it's become clear to me that the PlayStation VR is a little bit less of a, you know, of a high-end item than something like the HTC Vive or even Oculus. Like it's it's a cheaper 
piece of technology. It's you know supposed to be more accessible, and that's great, and that's awesome. But there's a huge disconnect between you're you're gonna want the way better machine for the middle grade VR. Like it's 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 kind of a weird disconnect. Like they were trying to meet two ends there and it's like okay are you the high-end consumer so you're gonna want the best version of the hardware to have the not best version of vr hardware otherwise and again i'm not an expert in this but that seems to be a weird disconnect to me yeah it's i don't know i think like a lot of like a lot of half measures this thing was going (laughs) was bound to be a disappointment like you know it's so weird i feel like we had this entire expectations tempering conversation like when this first surfaced and somehow i didn't temper my expectations enough yeah like (laughs) i guess i guess because we fundamentally like accepted that okay this is how it's going to be uh consoles will continue to evolve and the floor will raise and i guess instead this is more like all the concerns we raised i guess the the con the platform holders share them too yeah because uh, really it was like we want to change things but not really yeah. um and i don't know like you know as, as i look at it a little more like so i didn't spring for an, an, an hdr tv um it's this is this is the other weird thing is that this is made for people who are really into like the, the the features this thing offers that people are really going to care about and can actually utilize seem like they're going to be for super like hi-fi people. Yes. Um, people who have bought a TV like in the last year uh, and, and a good TV in yeah. the last year. Um, and I'm still not sure where the video, the 4k video sources are going to be coming from because <laughs> Unless you're going to be downloading the entire thing locally, which, by the way, would require a massive amount of storage. Oh, my God. Um, I just don't know how you could ever get a streaming experience on the type of bandwidth that most people have, uh, including people like me who pay a ridiculous amount to get like the best they can get in their market. Um, I still can't get 1080 all the time and i certainly can't get it at like a very high bit rate all the time like there's a lot of that that the 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 difference between what my what my tv is like capable of and then what actually gets put through it uh is usually pretty wide especially during like peak hours uh so this is the other thing if this is for like hi-fi you know (laughs) crazy hi-fi people like me um then why would you leave out the Blu-ray player? Yeah. Because because that's really that's the only way I know for certain I would be able to take advantage of these features. And instead that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh this so, is for South Koreans, Rob. This that's what this is for. This is for a country that has good internet and good pipes, basically. Yeah, I, I hardcore just, cinephiles, hardcore Korean cinephiles. That is who the PS4 plus. PS4 Pro, sorry. It's I mean, for. I guess I just can't. I just come away feeling like they kind of blew it. Like yeah. I don't feel like I was receptive to to getting the sales pitch, and I didn't hear one. I like I'm a sympathetic audience, and I didn't like really get it because what what I what I, what I heard was a lot of ways that it won't really be like I really can't take advantage of it, uh, and very few compelling reasons why I like what I like that I would get something out of it. So it's, um, I don't know. I guess, I I guess now that I'm confronting the reality of our new console, uh, future, I'm disappointed (laughs) that it wasn't more radical and messed up. Like we, we feared it would be like, you know what I mean? It's like the whole (laughs) conversation. And we were like, I don't know about this. Don't be like, I think you might be going too fast. And it was like, we heard you we're going slow. And I'm like, Oh no, I didn't want that at all. Yeah. How about this nice, you know, Cavalier instead of (laughs) an amazing F1 car. It's just sort of like, "Mm." I can't afford it either way, so you might as well have shown me the amazing F1 car. That would have been fine. You know, I would have gotten excited about it. I would have drooled a little bit. You know, that's what you want, Sony, right? Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I know time will tell, but man, I don't know. I don't know about these half measures. They do feel a little underwhelming to me. But I suppose... 
I suppose I I am I have yet my mind is open as it was with VR. Uh, I remain healthily skeptical, but my mind is open. I I am open to being blown away. Our, you know, my mind is open too. Uh, what what scares me a little bit is like sometimes it feels like we're just entering an era where like tech is just going to get less exciting because the improvements yeah. are going to get more and more marginal. And I feel like this is a, this is the product of that. Yeah. Um, and the improvements increasingly become tied to things like uh, new forms of DRM, right? Like, oh, yes. uh, strings I mean, attached. Aspect yeah. Of it. Yeah. I mean, my, my AV receiver has like the, the new model HDMI plugs on the back that have the support, like built in DRM. Uh, so that like, there will actually be a form of like DRM on on the connection between the TV and uh, the source. Um, you know, we just had an Apple press conference where they did us all a solid by eliminating <laughs> traditional headphones. Oh. Um, and it's like this is you know th- this sort of seems like the direction things are moving are like these really marginal improvements that you'll probably be unable to realize out in the field. Uh, but it comes with all the stuff that, that really matters, which is taking away your ability to sort of own things and making you increasingly dependent on just an endless series of like platforms. Yeah, it's I don't know. I I can't imagine how your average consumer is going to kind of keep up with all of this. Like if I'm having a hard time and OK, I know I'm kind of a less up on their tech for a for a gamer, I guess. Um, but I can't imagine how like, you know, mom, pa are gonna, are gonna deal with this kind of stuff. Like it just kind of boggles my mind. Like you, you need some average consumers to make this stuff make financial sense. So how, how the hell you make that mm, all work? I sort of feel like the reason it works is because, you convince people it matters, right? Like, I think that what we're stumbling <laughs> sure. over is we we know just enough to understand the value proposition has gotten screwed up. That, like, these changes won't really translate to things that we can, like, notice and enjoy at home. So that's where our confusion comes from. We're like, yeah. what what am I getting here? I think the average consumer, like, I just went TV shopping. Like, I just went through all this nightmare. You go into a showroom, what the average consumer is going to see is just a ton of things with exciting numbers on them. Oh, uh, displays, like, blown out like you wouldn't believe, showing some, in, like, insane video source with, like, all the, all the image, quote-unquote, enhancements turned on uh and and that you know in that environment you've got a salesman who you know comes across like he and it will inevitably be a he uh knows way more about this than you possibly ever could and that's how you end up getting the credit card you know you get out the credit card and uh you say yeah give me that 4k tv with the hdr and throw the playstation 4 pro on top of it all of this really does make me feel like um, the fellow in, in Interstellar, the sort of grandpa character who's <laughs> like, you know, back in my day, it was like Christmas every day. There was a new gadget for everything and all. <laughs> like, I just feel like him. I just I just want to be there like, well, you don't need, you know, corn at a baseball game. <laughs> like, it just, it's just, uh, I just, it just sounds exhausting to me. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm an old lady. Maybe I'm just old. You know, I'm an old millennial. We're we're starting to become that way. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely happening. Oh, man. Well, as an old millennial, I I think we should move on to our mailbag of other potential Our our snail mailbag. Yeah. Yeah, snail mail. Exactly. Like the old fashioned emails. Didn't didn't read this on the gram. So uh, it's in an email. But uh, of course, before we do that, a word from our sponsors. Rob, I need to talk to you about something really important. Your socks, Rob, they're they're just they're boring. They're uninteresting. There's no pizzazz, there's no life, there's no spark. I don't think I want my feet to spark, Danielle. You should want your feet to be comfortable and cozy and most definitely stylish, and that's where Bombas comes in. You want me to blow my feet up? 
Only with color and joie de vivre, my friend. If you go to getbombas.com slash weekend, you'll be able to peruse their extensive selection of styles and cuts. And you'll get 20% off your first order. (laughs) Okay, so long as the only thing that's exploding is a sense of joie de vivre. Yes, that's the only thing that will explode. And Bombas donates a pair of new socks to a homeless shelter for every pair bought, so you can feel good and your feet can feel great. Okay, getbombas.com slash weekend. No bombs. Indeed. Now let's go get those tootsies into something sparkly. As long as we don't have to call them tootsies. (laughs) All right. That was a lovely ad. I'm really glad that it happened. And we're going to go right into our weekend correspondence. And our first email is from Joe from New York. Joe says, So it seems a lot of people are asking for a refund for No Man's Sky. Valve is saying no because most have exceeded the max playtime of two hours for a refund. Which got me thinking, is two hours enough time to really know if you don't like No Man's Sky? I wasn't even off my starting planet by two hours. Which got me thinking again, should the playtime for a refund scale based on the length of the game? There are lots of games you could beat in less than two hours, which you could refund after you beat it. That's a pretty crappy thing to do to a developer. Just seems to me like two hours across the board for every game isn't the best solution. It's better than nothing, though, I guess. Joe from New York. Yeah, it feels to me like it's sort of like a 18 and you're an adult. Uh, kind of like they just had to slap a number and a pretty arbitrary number on the sort of refund policy, it seems. Um, but I don't think it's great either. Like, man, I don't know. Uh, they could certainly due to, you know, sort of futz with that number a little bit based on, like, kind of game, potentially, like, genre, you know? I imagine having a two-hour thing for RPGs might be okay. That might work out. But something like a a narrative game or, you know, sort of a story-based game, and I know that's not really, like, a category in Steam, but work with me here. You know, something like that might... You might want to have, like, a shorter limit. Um, Definitely No Man's Sky... uh, (laughs) No, you don't really know what you're in for after two hours of that game. I wasn't off my starting planet either. I think I was off of it in like three hours or something. And, and it then can take I a lot longer if it. you really want to go like yeah. explore that planet a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is no great solution for this. Um, yeah. I mean, you you can you can learn over on Idle Thumbs uh, from like two, three weeks ago about the majesty of the refund whale. Uh, but <laughs> Oh, yeah. but as far as actual like refund policies go there's just too much diversity in games to allow a one-size-fits-all approach but it's also kind of unreasonable to ask a platform holder like valve to take a uh like william rehnquist approach of like knowing it when you see it <laughs> yeah uh to to refunds right like you are you going to seriously like have someone sort of uh playing every game sort of deciding well a game like this the the refund window should should go about uh you know 10 hours or something like that uh you know i i mean to me it, the refund is still a weird thing uh i yeah. like i think i've gotten one refund on one game my entire life. So since this policy like has started, I've gotten like one refund from valve. Uh, beyond that, I just kind of view, I've always sort of expected all sales are final. And I know that's sort of me accepting the kind of raw deal that, that players have gotten from publishers for ages. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it was, it was kind of clean. And I do kind of feel like you can actually learn a lot about a game uh, in, in, in two hours. Like, you know, the example I return to a lot is Paradox games. Uh, you, you you won't even know how to play them within two hours, which is fair. <laughs> but I suspect within two hours, you'll figure out whether or not you want to continue trying to learn how to play them. Like, yeah. you know, like th- it's not just you showed up blind and decided to give a game a shot. Like you, you had things available to sort of make an informed purchase. Uh, no Man's Sky... I don't know. Like in, in in two hours, I felt like I got a decent sense of of what was going on. Um, yeah. Like I I didn't realize sort of what the entire planet hopping experience was, and maybe that's what they were selling. So that's where the issue lies. But 
I don't know. It just. Don't you, I kind of feel like two hours, I, I often get a good sense of what I'm in yeah. for. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, it's pretty rare at this point in life that I'll play two hours of a game unless I'm reviewing it. You know, like I, I'm either in it to win it <laughs> at two hours plus or I'm reviewing the game and it's my job and I have to finish it. You know, so <laughs> quite honestly, it's I, I feel like they kind of did their best on that one. Um, but yeah. I think there are arguments to be made for making that arbitrary number higher or lower, but it's, God, you know, arbitrary numbers exist for sort of legal reasons at this point in life, so. Yeah. You pick them however you can. All right, our next email comes from J.R. Smith, and J.R. writes, Dear Danielle and Rob, I was catching up on Idle Weekend during some yard work this weekend. A few episodes ago, Danielle recounted a moment where she second-guessed the notion of, wouldn't it be nice to live in a world where gender wasn't a thing? Apologies for the small text dump below, but I promise there is a discussion question at the bottom. Uh, That moment made me think of two authors who have a very different take on uh, gender. Earlier this year, I finished the excellent Ancillary series by Anne Leckie. The the main in-book language assigns everyone the same pronoun, she. This is used to cool effect because it helps abstract away societal conceptions of gender and helps the reader focus on the relative strengths or weaknesses of a given character. Alternatively, I am reading Too Like the Lightning by Ada Palmer. While otherwise interesting, my initial take on her use of gender is that it is much less effective. Structurally, the book is set up so that narrator is acting as both historian reading an account and an active participant in the tale. This is important to note because the narrator often takes aside to apologize for the barbaric use of he-she scattered throughout the tale. As a one-off remark, this probably would have been fine if a bit awkward. However, I noticed it pop up every 20 to 40 pages ago, pages or so in what I've read thus far, which has done little to engender me to this perspective. Uh, question, what have you read, played, or seen that has taken on a different take on gender? Uh, what techniques were used to get this across, and did it ever turn you off from an otherwise interesting work? I think I probably mentioned this in... Uh you know, a few weeks ago, but that the novel that I'm still currently reading, I'm reading a few things, but 2312 has, you know, several characters who are, you know, they identify as uh, he, she, or they, but uh, a lot of the folks in this universe have both uh, male and female genitals, you know, and the main character and another main character have both fathered and mothered a child. And, you know, they have a specific gender identity, but it kind of can be fluid and you know people at different points in their lives and they live for hundreds of years in this book and actually living longevity living for hundreds of years is tied to having sort of different sex hormones and different types of genitals and i thought that was just fucking cool like like many things in this book i'm not as interested in the plot but i am so interested in all the different kind of ideas of the future and ideas of sort of the different variations the human race can take on and Man, it's just it's just awesome. It's just really, really cool and interesting. And it's probably the first thing I can think of in terms of like something that actually kind of did gender in an interesting way. Um, another game that does, uh, I think, does a great job with sort of showing different kinds of gender and different gender expressions is uh, Read Only Memories, uh, which was made by a whole bunch of folks, trans folks, non-binary folks, uh, you know, queer folks, straight folks, all sorts of people who went into the making of that game and, you know, that... I still do think that really is important and really is a great thing uh, for making things that actually show different kinds of viewpoints. There are all kinds of humans and robots and sort of, yeah, there's transhumanism in there as well, as well as, you know, all sorts of cool things about gender. And uh, I think it works because it's written from many different perspectives, from people who have actually lived different kinds of experiences with uh, regards to gender and sexuality. So those would be my two. Um. I would throw out Ian Banks' culture series. Um, mm. One of the uh, signal features of uh, the culture, which is uh, sort of like what humanity ends up turning into, if I, if, if I recall correctly, uh, is that they've basically broken, they've used technology to overcome like every boundary or limit placed on humanity. Um, so like they become a race of immortals, um, you know, they can make miracles absolutely happen and gender exists. 
if you wanted to. Uh, but a lot of characters uh, around the thousand year mark uh, will decide they don't want to be their gender anymore. And they'll try something else. And they might just go to, uh, you know, a, a male might, uh, might just become a female. Uh, or there's like, you know, technology means anything is possible. So people go in other other stranger directions. Yeah. Um, in, including like weird, I think, alien influence, like, you know, third, fourth, fifth gender type, type approaches. Uh, so it's very much this idea that gender is an experience. And the future is that what people crave is diversity of experiences. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. (laughs) Um, so that, that had an interesting take on it. Uh, man, that Ada Palmer thing sounds actually kind of infuriating. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like your overly politically correct friend who like has to make a point of their, I know what you mean. I get it. We get you. We get you are the most (laughs) sensitive person in this conversation. You, You can just talk now. Um, yeah, (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I, I think something else that actually jumps to mind is, um, I guess it initially bothered me a little bit that in, I think, the last Mass Effect game that Shepard could just be gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for me, it was like, well, that seems weird. Because like, w- if that was an option, it feels like it should have come up earlier in the story. Uh, yeah. It seems like that would have been something that would have like influenced that character and like in, in ways that you could like see and understand as the person playing that character. Um, and I, I think what I ended up sort of taking away from that at least was um, Mass Effect kind of had this idea that's, that's kind of heartening, which is ultimately um, the ways the gay experience of someone like living in America through like the latter half of the 20th century uh, informs what it is to be a gay person won't exist in the far future. Right. And I, th- th- that sort of, once I made that leap, I was like, okay, like that, that's actually kind of cool. Right. That like, that, yeah. that like things like sexual preference won't, uh, it just won't be a thing. Yeah. yeah. It won't, won't make such not a, a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not going to like, you know, it's not going to leave scar tissue. Uh, uh, you know, on you growing up uh, in in a way that so many people uh, do have that scar tissue. So I thought that was uh, kind of an an interesting thing. Um, But yeah, I guess those would be, would be my two call outs. Yeah. I mean, I just think Mass Effect is such an interesting case where I, I feel at least, you know, I want to believe in the happy world that they actually really wanted to kind of be more inclusive and include, uh, you know, queer stuff, you know, Liara, obviously, being um, sort of non-binary and, uh, or I guess agendered is the, the correct term, at least in terms of the the actual work. But obviously she seemed so, you know, we used she pronouns for her, right? Yeah. It's, it, that's the proper pronoun for Liara. And I, I think they wanted to go in that direction. And then, you know, clearly that was kind of a case of like the politics catching up a little bit to to their vision. And then by the time it was the third game, it was 2012 and it was like a little bit, a little bit easier, a little bit, you know, yeah. the the stepping stones had been paved to some degree for there to be like actual queer characters in, you know, a triple A video game where they kind of weren't in 2007 or, or, or less so in 2007. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do want to believe that it was more than just two girls kissing is hot. Let's put that in the game. Like I want, I want to believe there was like an actual really like a deep feeling towards like, Hey, we can show things that are not, you know, we're sci-fi. We can do some stuff with sex. We can do some stuff with gender. So yeah. Mass Effect. I hope the new game also has cool stuff like that. Alrighty. Our next email comes from John Rennish. John writes, hello, R and D. My office game club, like a book club, but for games, uh, we're discussing the recently released Stellaris, and one tangent that we dove deep into was opting out of game mechanics. In the case of Stellaris, I personally opted out of doing anything but auto-optimized for ship designs, while another person spent hours tweaking and maximizing their ships. This tangent swept from game to game in every genre, where we discovered that all of us have piecemealed our way through multiple titles. Uh, For some, it was never acknowledging cosmetic customizations, while others preferred not to engage in crafting systems. As a player, uh, what what tops your list for games that you actively sort of immediately opt out of in terms of mechanics? When reviewing games, what tips can you offer for powering through these? 
Oh my. I feel like I've, <laughs> here's my baby racing game uh, explanation, but I feel like I opt out of um, optimizing a lot of my, my car stuff mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. in like Forza and, you know, especially the F1 where I just have no clue what I'm doing in the slightest where I'm just like, yes, thank you game. Please give me the optimal car or, or the suggested car, the suggested, you know, sort of loadout for the car. Uh, for me to race with, thank you. And also, yes, I definitely need the racing line. Like I, I need it for games where I am just clueless, and I need I need the aids. I need the little you know I need the little swimmies to get into the deep end with that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, I play around with that stuff a little more, but honestly, that's also been a thing that's chased me off a lot of games too. Like whenever it becomes too mandatory. Uh, it just is a huge turnoff. Um, yeah. <laughs> John already sort of identified one of my big pet peeves. Uh, I hate designing ships. Oh. Uh, if a game is like, hey, design the spaceship, um, boy, there better be an option for me to just click a button and say, like, put the good stuff on the ship and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in a lot of games, there isn't. That's the that's the frustrating thing. Is a lot of like space forexes are like, you know, kind of demanding that you sort of play this little mini game uh, about like what type of weapons to put on based on who you're going up against. And like, if you're into it, it's awesome. And if you're if you're mostly there for the strategy stuff, it's uh, it's, it's it's really not. Uh, so that tends to be a, an area where where I opt out a lot. Um, yeah trying to think if there's if there's anything else in there um there's definitely like a disparity for me for cosmetic stuff like when i start like say a saints row game or whatever or you know or a mass effect even i like to go in there and tweak things and be like okay that looks good but i spend like five minutes like it's a quick experience for me my girlfriend she will be in the character creation for two to three hours oh yeah making everything absolutely perfect i just want the goofiest thing possible or for it to kind of look like me maybe a little bit like with with mass effect i'm kind of like yeah it looks kind of like me all right that's cool it's good good enough yep uh, let's change the hair that's cool all right let's do it let's play the game she is just like no i need the perfect 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 character and i've always found that really fascinating i know some people get super super into it and i think it's awesome you know when people do get super into it but it's always been something i'm like i just want somebody wacky that's fine <laughs> Yeah, I um, I also feel like RPGs. I tend not to bother too much with like min maxing. Um, yeah, I just kind of yeah. want to forge ahead. Just want to play. Uh, yeah. yeah, but when it comes to powering through stuff, like, I mean, if it's an open world game, if there's activities you don't like, don't do them. Yep. If it's a, <laughs> if it's one of those racing games that like there's multiple types of races, like drift racing there was this period where every racing game had to have like drift things in it mm. that you could like do you know what i hate drift racing it's boring <laughs> it's the it's the worst garbage uh so i just didn't uh like and usually most games were cool with me sort of skipping all of that uh so yeah uh, i think usually the trick to powering through stuff is skip just to put your hand put your head down yeah 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 uh, okay, so Paul uh, Botzing uh, writes with a little story. Uh, hi, R&D. <laughs> Rob's story about his sound system journey, uh, which I've been on myself, made me want to write you a warning. Don't ever read Espresso Maker forums. <laughs> it started one year ago when our old coffee grinder broke. Uh, it was a wedding gift, no obsession-inducing research needed, and I wanted to replace it. Naively, I thought... Sure, the high street shops have basically one good model in stock for about $100, but a bit of research can't hurt. It turns out it can. <laughs> Reading this grinder is maybe okay when you want to make a pot of filter coffee, but for nothing else was discouraging. Uh, but I found out there was an actual coffee equipment store in Oslo, where I live, and I started looking for an entry model. At $300, there is a model that got the This Gives Good Consistent Grind and Does Not Make Too Much Noise review. Great, I thought. And it didn't even take much more space than an average espresso machine itself. As I read on, however, I found that the motor heat transfers to the burrs <laughs> after a while of grinding, which can destroy delicate tastes contained in the beans. Oh, no. I couldn't have that. 
<laughs> never mind that I never make more than two espresso at a time anyway and don't need to grind much at a time. <laughs> so I found a $400 model, and after that, a $600 model. And at the $800 model, the review contained the half sentence, although this is on par with most barista coffee shops, it does not have the same fine grind as the... And at that point, I looked at myself who'd been perfectly happy with my old grinder, which had been viewed as producing a liquid that is more tea than espresso, <laughs> and bought the $300 model. I couldn't be happier. Although I recently read a review of my espresso maker indicating that I am cheating myself of the perfect espresso experience by not... Anyway, keep obsessing. Oh, God. Uh... I identify with that way too freaking much uh, because this is me basically in a time I start researching stuff. And I actually just went through a coffee grinder uh, search myself <laughs> and ended up falling down the same rabbit hole. Uh, I ended up with a hundred dollar model uh, because everything else like that was the edge of the precipice to go beyond that would have been to go to places that I just like, I, I don't care to go. Um, and I realized to a degree, it's ridiculous to do this stuff, but I think the other thing that I'm really like, there's a lot of things you're going to interact with every day. And those interactions can be completely commonplace or there can be little like frustrations that will like attend them every single day, or they can be little treats. <laughs> and I will always opt for the treat. And so yeah. like, that's why I bought like a ridiculous, like, TV and sound setup because it was like I interact like I use this every day. You know, is it going to be lame or is it going to be awesome? It's going to be <laughs> awesome. Um, I have a kettle that is way too expensive. It's a stovetop kettle. It's not even efficient. Like you got to sit it, you got to put it over a burner and let it like heat up from fire when an electrical coil could do the same thing in like half the time. But it's a really pretty kettle and it feels really good in the hand. And it is just the most relaxing, reassuring thing to make a pot of coffee or a cup of tea with this thing. And it feels a lot better than just sort of, you know, flicking that little switch every morning on a ugly piece of like, you know, stainless steel. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Like it's, it is, it is funny. It's ridiculous to, 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 to do all this stuff, but. I think it's also like a declaration of your values uh, to an extent. Like what experiences like do you want to be experiences and which do you just want to be transactional? That's the choice you're making. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, Danielle, I bet I'd like, come on. Are you going to tell me that you don't have strong feelings about like running shoes? Oh my God. See, this is exactly what I was going to say the whole time. Like, like I've definitely been the person who goes to target and I'm like popcorn maker. Fine. That's fine. Coffee maker. Yeah. Great. Blender, whatever. It's cool. But when we talk about running shoes, Oh my God. I have to do the run in the store on the treadmill. I have to do the gait analysis. I have to do the run outside. I have to jump around. I have, there's a whole test I do for running shoes. It, it extends beyond running shoes. So you can't just go to clothing. a little, you can't just go to a tiny corner shoe store. You got to go to a place oh, with like a setup. I go with, I go to running specific shops and I, and I try to always go to like the, the sort of local business ones, you know, like I, I actually, whenever I can, I go to whenever I, you know, when I know a running shoe purchase needs to be made relatively soon, I will go to Rhode Island and go to like a local running shoe store mm -hmm. in Rhode Island and mm -hmm. be like, yes, I, I will purchase this from you, my Rhode Island friends. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, because that's to me, like, just like you're saying the treat, but but also like that's a part of my life. Like those mm -hmm. running shoes, there's, those are going to be with me for thousands of miles, probably, you know, depending. They, they tell you like 1,000 to 1,500 miles. That's about how often you should uh, replace your shoes. And that, that's like equipment for my life. That, that makes me happy. It helps me to be fit and happy and sane and all sorts of good things. Yeah, I feel like, and like on the more ridiculous side, like I'm like this with running clothes that really honestly... You can run fast or slow in whatever the hell you're wearing, as long as it's relatively comfortable. But no, I have to have the, the cool fabric, the neon colors, the ridiculous, you know, whatever 
stupid Under Armour phrase is on that, you know, I'm no. a little bit, I'm a little bit over that part, but you know what I'm saying? Like with running clothes, I'm like, oh yes, this will definitely make me faster. And it's like, no, of course it won't. You could do this in sweatpants and a t-shirt and it would probably be about the same, but no, I need the, the finest cut and the good, you know, like whatever thing I'm looking for, it has to be, oh yes, it has to be excellent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a couple other things there, which is like these things can be reassuring. Yes. Uh, yes. And in some ways, that reassurance actually matters a great deal. Like knowing that your feet are like wearing good shoes is reassuring because it lets you push yourself. It lets you go for that extra mile rather than sort of pull up short when you start to get that like ache in the the arch of your foot. Yeah. Like it's it, imp- it's important. Like running is one of the least expensive sports equipment wise, but you really even if you're like going to run in like ratty old clothes, like. You should get good shoes. That is actually, that's legit. That's like, yeah, you want to take care of those feet. They're important. Well, I like, I mean, and I am not remotely fit at all, but I'll tell you like discovering like those Under Armour, like compression shirts Mm -hmm. um, was actually a game changer for me and like my exercise habits, because here's the thing, like, I realized, like, holy shit, these things breathe like nothing else. It's oh, like you're it's wearing so a second skin that's, like, more thermally efficient than, like, the crappy skin yes. you've been given at birth. Yes. And, the, and like, you know what it did? It made me exercise more. And it made me See, exercise awesome. longer and yeah. harder. And so that did, that did actually matter. Like, could I have just gone, like, for someone at my level, could, like, crappy shorts and bad sneakers and a white Hanes t-shirt have gotten the job done? <laughs> Absolutely. Would I have felt trashy doing it and <laughs> would I felt like less, less confident yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah it would have and then it would have defeated the purpose so you know it's it, it's fun it's fun to mock these things it's fun to be self-aware about them but at the same time like I have a lot of respect for my own little obsessions and peccadillos and, and those of others um, yes. and I think a lot of times they're they're not as silly as they first appear yeah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, my next email actually comes from a fellow Rhode Islander, which makes me really excited, uh, named Allison. Hello, Idle Thumbs. This is Allison. I listened to your show since the first episode, and I'm also a person from Rhode Island, so I can relate to Danielle's comment about cars from a few shows ago. I need some help. I feel like I'm losing interest in video games, and I'm not sure why. I'm in college right now, and homework is hard and time-consuming. Plus, I barely have any money to afford getting lunch every day. Video games are always capping up at $60. I can't buy as many as I want to, and I barely finish the games these days. I need some advice. Please help me, Idle Weekend. Allison, I went through the same thing in college, actually, and to a much more sort of severe extent in grad school. I didn't play much when I was in grad school, especially, I had a lot more time in college, even though I like played three sports and I had a job and I did, I took six classes a semester and I, yeah, what else? I did theater and I did improv. So I, I always was, I was fairly busy for a college student, but I had a lot more time for games. In grad school, it was a different story. I pretty much like got a Wii. We're talking about 2006 here. Oh my God, this was literally 10 years ago. Okay. I got a Wii and I played like, you know, Uh, the sort of uh, Twilight Princess, the Zelda game that came out for it. And that was pretty much the only big game I played that entire year. Like basically until Bioshock came out the next year, that was kind of it for big games. And then I played like Meteos and Clubhouse games and a bunch of like very small sort of uh, DS games. And that was honestly about it. I just played smaller things, you know, sort of all the time, you know, other than like every now and then I had some game coverage I would do for, you know, for the website I was working at. But like, yeah, there are times, there are periods in your life where it's just like, you don't have money, you don't have any time, and that's what it is. And, and you know, I'm saying this as a very privileged person to be able to say that, that that was a time in my life and not my entire life. So, you know, acknowledging that, like, um, if if you're fairly lucky like I am and have, you know, either the time or the money sort of later on, then then you can sort of indulge again. As for advice, I would tell you that there are, you know, what, no matter what your tastes are, if if you want to kind of go indie and play some really small things, there's actually a lot of really amazing free and super, super cheap games that won't take a ton of your time and, uh, you know, won't take a lot of your money. And for that, my friend, I will direct you towards itch.io. 
for your itch.io needs. And, you know, this sort of standard advice about like, you know, Steam sales and that kind of thing. But I would I would actually say, like, don't even indulge too much because things will just kind of pile up in your in your Steam, you know, in your library and then never get played. And then that can be depressing. So honestly, just just pick and choose. Just just go with what you feel like. Find the things that really excite you. Like, honestly, this is going to sound like career advice, but. Find the kind of things that you love, that you really, really enjoy. They make you excited. They make you, you know, they make your pulse quicken a little bit. And just, just stick with those. Find those experiences. Don't pay too much for them. Don't, you know, you don't need to go wildly out of your way. Thank God there, there's really good stuff now. Um, yeah. So, itch.io. Itch.io is your friend, Allison. Go yeah, to itch.io. <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's a good time if you've got a laptop um, you know, to to look at some older games, maybe on GOG that you never like. You know, yeah. playing Fallout yes. was cool. Like I really enjoyed that experience. Uh, playing Her Story uh, was amazing. Yeah. It's a total library game. Uh, you can just put on your headphones and take your little notes. It's like you're studying. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. It's a, like if you feel like you're losing interest in video games, it's in t- like th- things wax and wane all the time. Like it's. Yeah. It's perfectly okay and not worrying to sort of just not feel that drive uh, anymore. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe it won't. Maybe like you're transitioning into just having other interests and passions and video games are going to be a smaller part of your life. Um, and that's the way that's the way it goes. Like I didn't play many games in college, like from 2003 uh, to around like the start of 2007. Like I didn't play anything um, mm-hmm. like I played a total. I played Rome Total War. That was it. Uh, that was basically my game. Beyond that, there's there's very little happening. Um, the other thing I'll say is like lately, I've wished I actually studied more in college. <laughs> it's not it's not a I wish I'd done better in school so I'd have different options. Like I'm happy with like where my career is at right now and all that stuff. But I think I didn't appreciate at the time. All those hours of spending wishing I didn't have to spend so much time like studying and doing homework <laughs> and all that. What I didn't realize is that college is this weird place where it's the least bullshitty academic work you're ever going to do. It's not like high school where you're checking all these boxes for stuff that like you probably like a lot of you're not going to use later. A lot of you may just may not care about. You're sort of allowed to pursue your passions and sort of define what those are. Um, and then you're given sort of space and yeah, okay. You might be like, you know, I was, I was definitely like counting my quarters, uh, <laughs> to pay for coffees and, and yeah. such like that, uh, in college. But the thing I didn't appreciate at the time is like, what an amazing thing it is to have it to be kind of your job to go sit at a table in a library and like absorb information and make connections and reach new understandings. Like, that's a really cool thing. And if you're spending a lot of time like hitting the books and studying and like video games aren't calling your name as much as they used to be, embrace that, man. Cause there's going to be a really surprising day when you look at a lot of your old textbooks on a shelf and you haven't broken them out in like two years and you're going to wish like more than anything that you could just call your whole day to a halt and sit down with a notebook and a few of those books and start figuring, figuring them out. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, brain fart philosophy, Danielle, really, really appreciates that point. <laughs> yeah, I believe like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the same boat. Like I took a, like, I didn't like, I wasn't a philosophy major. I took a fair bit of it. Yeah. Um, you didn't hear me chiming in with like an explanation <laughs> of like what Kant would have said in that situation. I didn't, hell if I know. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, like it's, it's cliche to say like these, are the best years of your life, but the, the, there are special opportunities, uh, in this experience, uh, not just limitations. And I would focus on the opportunities and embrace those, the other stuff will come back or it won't, and you'll be someone who won't care that it didn't. I have to say, just as my last piece of advice there, just take a class that just sounds interesting to you. And, you know, don't don't take, like, you know, the 700-level class. Like, take the 101 or the, you know, 102-level class that just sounds interesting. Like, do that. That was the best thing I did in college, and I... 
I double majored and had a minor. Like I couldn't decide what I liked best. And I just took classes, you know, I took a lot of bio classes and, and some, like I took an environmental science class and I was not even close to being it, you know, any kind of science major other than, you know, the, the bio I took for psych basically. And I had so much fun just actually learning from somebody who knew what the hell they were talking about in a field that I had no idea what it was about. It is That is the most fun. Th- okay. I'm a dork, but I thought that was the most fun thing about college, honestly. So yeah, just just take something that sounds fun. And if you hate it, it's fine. It was one class, you know, just do that. If you, ha- if you have the space, and I, and I think most, if you're earlier on, at least in college, usually there's some space for, you know, just random electives. Just do it. Do it up. Enjoy. Enjoy, Allison. Allison from Rhode Island. Okay, awesome. So on that note... I think it's time for us to talk about our weekend projects. Rob, is there something special that you've been enjoying in your life lately? Uh, so I recently just watched a, a really cool movie called 71. Ooh. It's uh, directed by Jan Demange. Uh, it is a sort of a chase movie, a pursuit movie. Uh, set in the early days of the Troubles in Northern Ireland, uh, where a rookie British soldier is separated from his unit in the middle of a riot in Belfast and sort of spends a long night trying to get back to friendly territory uh, and navigating uh, internecine conflicts among uh, Irish nationalists, uh, being hunted uh, by a really dangerous squad of paramilitaries, um, you know, encountering some some friendly uh, s- some friendly uh, loyalist militia um, who who are up to up to no good of their own. Um, it's it's a really it, on the one hand, it's like this really exciting um, like action movie because uh, there's there's a lot of uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of shooting. There's a lot of running through darkened uh, city streets. Uh, it's it's it has a wonderful sense of like place and time, uh, and and what it imparts is is the idea that uh, Belfast in 1971 was the worst place to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, just a ferociously ugly uh, and uh, war torn city. Um, but the other part of it is that. It's also just a really good microcosm of of like uh, you know of that era, the politics around uh, of that time, uh, the, you know the way things like just how chaotic and nonsensical uh, the troubles were in some ways. Because anytime you've got like that many factions in in a tiny place like things get really really weird and so it turns into a really exciting like one crazy night uh type of film uh is this guy it's like it's 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 like the way i put it is like it's it's northern irish children of men oh wow um it's 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 that good uh so i i really enjoyed it it's free on amazon prime right now and it is uh it's a it's a pretty grueling experience but it's it's a hell of a thing Oh, man. Okay. Well, that just jumped to the top of my list. That's pretty cool. Um, so I watched a film recently that uh, I had never seen beginning to end. It's kind of a classic. Um, I finally watched Bringing Out the Dead, which is, you know, classic, well, cl- somewhat classic uh, 90s Nicolas Cage, uh, Martin Scorsese film about uh, a really, really strung out paramedic in New York uh, set in the early 90s, sort of a... Uh, during the time of, of the sort of crack cocaine, uh, I suppose one would call it an epidemic. It was pretty rough and bad and really hard on a lot of people. So let's call it that. Um, so I watched it and I fell utterly, utterly, utterly in love with the movie. Um, I like, I think it might be my very, very favorite uh, Martin Scorsese movie ever of all time. Like right, right up there. Uh it really, really does capture, and of course, it's like dramatic, and it's nine. It's it's stylized. It's definitely from the '90s, uh, but it really actually does sort of capture a lot of the feeling of doing EMS in this city, like the utter chaos of it, the like ridiculous. You just gotta roll with it sometimes. Insanity of what it's like to uh, to work with patients, especially sort of maybe emotionally disturbed patients uh, in the city on like a busy night when the ER is just just 
overrun and ridiculous and you got somebody bleeding, you got somebody whose heart stopped, you've got somebody who's having a really bad time. Um, it, it's funny and it's sad and it's fucked up and it's weird and it's incredible, especially when you do uh, like overnight shifts and you're always kind of a little bit tired and you're always a little bit like, oh man, what's going to come up next? I was sort of thinking about it while I was, um, I did an overnight shift last night on the ambulance and like, I'm not a medic, I'm an EMT basic, like I can't do as many things as a medic can do, but it, it really just honestly captured this, that sort of essence. I think it's peak Nicolas Cage, uh, no question. I don't think he has a better performance than in this movie. I think it's amazing. Like he, he utterly, as, as Frank he just utterly captures the sort of bewilderment and and grit that's sort of required in this job. And uh, God, uh, it's I, hard to say enough good things about it. I, I love the cinematography. I oh, love yeah. the editing. I love the pacing. I love how it just captures New York. Like, yes, of course, it's Manhattan-centric, as so many things <laughs> are uh, when it comes to uh, sort of New York movies. But it it just nails it in, in so many ways. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, it's a weird thing. I've always felt like that movie was considered one of the lesser Scorsese movies, oh, and God. I have never agreed with that assessment. I've no, always felt like yeah. it was one of my favorites from, like, I guess we can call it his middle period. Sure. Um, yeah. Like, I would take that over a lot of his later career movies that got, like, were really well received. Uh, yeah. But, like, I think there is heart to, uh, you know, Bring out the dead that is lacking in like the aviator in the departed, uh, yeah. where like those are slick films. Bring out the dead is weird, uh, yes. in, in a way that I, I find, uh, really, really enjoyable. And I think part of that is you're also catching Nicolas Cage, an interesting moment because like crazy Nicolas Cage hasn't become an, like hasn't overtaken the man's it's not career a meme. entirely. Yeah, 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 and it hasn't curdled into just a thing he sort of flips on at will. Um, and so like here he's playing a guy who is completely strung out and, um, is haunted by the fact that he lost someone on a call that he feels he shouldn't have lost years ago. For some reason it's haunting him. Uh, but on top of that, he's, he's going through a bad streak. Like every life threatening situation that he's in, uh, the patient doesn't make it. He just cannot rack up a win. He cannot save lives. Uh, and it's sort of this, it's this existential crisis, right? Across three nights where he has three different partners in the ambulance, all with representing sort of different approaches to the work and different ways of relating to it and the people you help. Um, and yeah, I end up finding the movie to be a beautiful meditation on, you know, life and death and forgiveness. Um, and it's, not a movie that feels like a meditation, though, because it's got that Scorsese quickness. There's oh, there's yeah. a speed and a pace to this movie uh, that is that is really exciting. It is a thrilling movie to watch. It feels like an extended hallucination that's over in the blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, it's just one of my absolute favorites. Um, yeah, I will. I, I will. I will ride for Bring Out the Dead. Oh God, yeah. I mean, there. I I won't go on much longer, but. Uh... It is sort of something that connects to a discussion we had previously about movies about New York that are, like, too slick and, like, just too pretty. And this just feels like it captures the ugly beauty of New York at night. Yep. And and it is an ugly, ugly beauty. There, There's a lot of gross, upsetting stuff in this movie. And there's a lot of gross, upsetting stuff that happens in EMS. Like, you, yep. you see some really, really fucked up stuff sometimes. And, uh... Yeah, it, it doesn't pull any punches, which I really, really appreciated. The only thing as like an EMT that I have to quibble with in this movie is the shitty, shitty, terrible CPR. Like yeah. people, he looks like he's about to fall asleep doing CPR. If you're not like feeling like you just ran a marathon while doing it, you have to, you have to do it really fast and really hard. And like, it I understand. It breaks ribs, right? It like breaks, it breaks ribs most yeah. of the time, honestly, um, if you're doing it properly. Not always, always, but very often, especially because uh, you're often doing it on frail elderly people. Uh, but, like, man, if there was just some damn way, like, I know you can't, like, <laughs> you could never fully show it, um, you know, in a movie because you would break the other actor's ribs. That would be horrible. But, like, just show a little immediacy. Just show a little intensity. Like, people seriously yeah. look like you're just, like, kind of, like, gently, gently rocking. And it's like, no, man. Oh, 
But that's like obviously a very minor and weird quibble to have with a movie that is I like, a masterpiece. <laughs> I like that you quibble with that and not the part where he finally loses it on the multiple suicide call guy and just unloads on him. And it's like, if you're not going to be serious about this process, then neither am I. If you really want to do this, you go down the highway, not across. Yeah. Uh, like, that's not okay. That's not okay either. <laughs> but you're like, I mean, but like, I get that. That's that's something you'd like a strung out yeah. guy would totally do that. Like a yeah. burned out EMT might say that. I mean, people really do like I people do some things that are not uh not necessarily the best thing to do sometimes. That that definitely happens. Like it, it captures that being strung out and like I haven't slept for more than four hours in three days and all I have in my bloodstream is coffee and I'm trying to help you, god damn it, and I there's find, other people who need per- help. <laughs> I find your performative self, self-harm tiring tonight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, ugh. You know, there's definitely that attitude too and, and like it, it does take a lot of, of empathy and empathy is, there's actually a term for it and I'm, I'm forgetting it, but like there, there's a real term in the medical field for like basically empathy fatigue like yeah like i have been helping so many people who have things so bad and i just can't anymore because i'm human and i have limits and they yeah. really do a good job sort of showing without telling a lot of that and that's god i'm sorry i'm just so into yeah, this movie no, like i, 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 I haven't seen it in ages i need to watch it again oh yeah it's very, I'd, very I'd watch that though. in 4k Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Okay. There's the reason right there. That, for me, would be the oh, reason. Oh, God. The scene that. where they're cutting through the metal bar and the sparks are flying out over Manhattan. And, oh, oh God. Sublime. Sublime. It's beautiful. Truly All right. beautiful. Oh, my God. So good. Anyway, I think with that, that's a good place uh, for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by Chris Remo and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. If you're enjoying the show... Please do take a, a quick moment and uh, think about rating us on iTunes or telling a friend, tell your dog, tell your mom, tell somebody who might enjoy the show. Uh, it helps us out so much and it means the universe to us. And I will just briefly say I met a whole bunch of really cool folks at the Idle Thumbs meetup at uh, PAX West last weekend. And it was incredible and it made me just feel so good and, and so filled with warmth and happiness and love and joy. And thank you folks so much. You are the best. Really appreciate it. You can learn more about the show at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo, wishing you the finest of idle weekends. Good. Good shit. Good shit indeed. (laughs) I will upload that 